into the Word of God today, verse by verse, through this powerful book of the Bible. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and somebody say, our great high priest. Our great high priest. One more time. Our great high priest. I want you to understand that that's what Jesus is. Jesus is our great high priest. We are in a world where there's a lot of religions and a lot of presentations of what they think we need when it comes to priests. The moment I mention the word priest, most of you, like me, probably think of Roman Catholic priests. How many of you, is that the first thing that comes to mind? Some of you? How many of you, like because you've been reading the Bible for a while, you think of the Jewish priests, the Old Testament? Okay. Whenever we think about those images, we're thinking about something that God gave us as a type and a shadow. The Roman Catholic Church has made the Roman Catholic priesthood to try to remind people of what God already fulfilled. So think about it like this. A lot of what the Roman Catholics are doing is actually continuing the demonstration of shadows, symbology. So we don't have to look at all the Roman Catholic symbols and go throw them out with the bathwater. We don't. One of the reasons why they have incense is because of like the song we were singing today based on the book of Revelation. So they continue that on. But that shadow has now been fulfilled. Why do we need to keep doing the shadow when we have the reality? As I've said before, would you rather have my iPhone or the shadow of my iPhone? What would you rather have? The iPhone. Now, if you had the iPhone, would you still be obsessed with the shadow of the iPhone? No, it doesn't even matter to you. But if I said to you, when you see the shadow of the iPhone, as I'm looking at it over the table here, and it's, it's coming onto the floor, if I said to you, like Jason sitting in the front row, as you see the shadow, and now I'm actually using the shadow to touch your feet there, prepare to get the phone, would you be happy to see the shadow? Right? It's really simple in church. Sometimes we complicate things, right? But I want to make it simple. If you saw, and it was going to be a gift, I'm giving you a gift. Some of you are going to get Christmas gifts. How many of you all going to get Christmas gifts? All right, in my family, we don't celebrate Christmas, okay? Just to let you know. Some of you think that's a joke, that's actually reality. My kids don't get Christmas gifts. Am I telling the truth? You don't get them. Nancy will try to sometimes sneak them around, but I don't celebrate Christmas. That's a whole other story, okay? I'm a weirdie like that. You can celebrate it, though. But listen, if I said to you, I'm giving you this, Jason, as a gift. Now, look, look at the shadow. Can you see my shadow touching your foot? You look like it right here. You see it? Or, is, or does the light blind you from seeing it? Does anybody see my shadow coming over his leg beside me? You can see it from your angle? Okay, now watch. If I said to Jason, I'm going to give you my phone as a gift, if he sees that shadow coming, that's a good thing, right? I'm not coming to slap him with the phone, am I? I'm coming to give him the phone, right? So if he sees the shadow coming, that's a good thing. Now the shadow brings about the phone, the phone's in his hand, is he looking at the shadow anymore? No, because he's got the gift. He doesn't care about the shadow. What we're learning in the book of Hebrews is that what the Old Testament was, was a book of shadows. And now when you think of these kinds of things, you're not supposed to look at the shadow anymore. You're supposed to look at the reality. You're supposed to have your eyes on that which matters. Probably a better example should have been my Bible than giving you an iPhone, right? So giving you the Word of God, here it is. So when the Roman Catholics have a priesthood, is it anti-Bible 
to consider people in the church as priests. No. It's in the Bible that they're priests. But is it wrong for them to be obsessed with that priesthood and to give special powers to that priesthood when the Bible says that we are a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests? Yeah, see, that's the problem because now you're going back to the shadow instead of the reality. It would be like Jason saying to me, hey, I want to give you back the phone, but I want to play around with the shadow. I like looking at that shadow. Like, who would do that? That would seem insane, wouldn't it? No, you keep the phone, Joe. You keep the Bible. Whatever I'm giving him today as an example, you keep it. I just want to keep looking at that shadow down there. Now you understand why we as Protestants don't have all the bells and smells as the Roman Catholics. We're not disagreeing that there's such thing called incense in the kingdom of God. We're just disagreeing over what it is. The incense of the Old Testament was actually things that they burned from the earth that went up in the temple, and it was a sweet aroma to the Lord as well as the sacrifice. But we don't need that anymore because we have the reality. The reality of what that incense was a shadow of was the Christian's prayers, the prayers of the saints, not the prayer to the saints. How many believe that we shouldn't pray to saints? But how many believe we should pray to Jesus? Amen. Because he's not just a mere man. He is the Son of God who came in the flesh. Now, I want to show you this in the book of Revelation. I didn't have it prepared, so I'm going to go to the best scholar that I know, Google. Prayer, saints, incense, revelation. Here it comes. You all ready for it? I love Google. Revelation chapter 8, verse 4. Go there quickly, please. Google actually works faster even than my Bible app that I pay a lot of money for by God's grace, but you can't beat that search engine, man. That's fast. Some of you want to go to school at Google, Google University, YouTube College. Just be looking up stuff thinking you know everything. Just slow your roll down a little bit. You got to make sure that it corresponds to reality, not what's just somebody made in their basement, okay? But this was pretty easy on Google. I just, it, you know, it just... Search for the words. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 4. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Now, this is where sometimes people say, well, you see, the angels got the prayers like incense, so we should pray to them. No, no, no. It doesn't say we pray to the angel to do this. We pray to God, and God allows the angel to do what they do. Does everybody see the difference? Because if you're not quick to it, you will have people who like to pray to angels and to saints that have already passed. They'll try to use this as a scripture to prove that. Go up to verse 3 for me, please. Just scroll just a little bit. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. So this is where, once again, people want to take it out of context. They say, well, if there's an angel that has the prayers of God's people, and they're giving it to God, and I want God to get those prayers, what should I do? Well, I should pray to the angel, and then the angel will get those prayers to God. Everybody go, ah, now I know where that heresy came from. Yeah, that's where it comes from. But it's a trick of the words there. It doesn't say you pray to the angel, and then the angel takes your prayers to them and gives them to God. It doesn't say that. It says that God has the angel take the prayers with the incense and lift it up to God. That's all that's happening. So there's something around God's throne 
that is like incense, I think it's his presence, that our prayers get intermingled with and they go up before him. That's how the Bible describes heaven. Now, we may think that there's something weird about that, that there's no way that he could understand prayers that come to him in the form of incense, that a cloud could have information. A hundred years ago, people never would have thought that a cloud, you know where I'm going with this, could contain information. Where's your information stored on your phone right now? Just curious. In the where? In the cloud. Now, I know that's a name that they call it, but isn't it something out of all the names they could call something that holds information, they chose the word cloud. Now, when you look at the book of Revelation, I don't know how literal we're supposed to take it, but I know I trust when they, ta- when they say my notes are on the cloud, I can trust that if my prayers are in the cloud, God's getting those prayers. Can I hear an amen from some people that learned something today in church? Your prayers are in the cloud. Now, why is that important? Because you and I can get discouraged so easily. And we can think to ourselves that our prayers are not getting answered because we see so many of them not come to pass. And if you look at your prayer life like a baseball player going to the plate, you might not be batting so well right now. In baseball, they use a thousand-point system. So if you hit the ball and get on base every single time, you're batting a thousand. The best baseball players that have ever played somewhere, uh, they bat somewhere in the 300s. And so that just means 3 out of 10, 30% that they hit the ball and get on base. That means 7 out of 10, they're missing, striking out, people catching the balls, getting them out. They're not getting on base. Somebody say, they're out of here. They're not on base. They're out of here. Get out, strike three, you're out. Now, notice this. We think a guy who gets on base 3 out of the 10 times, he's a good baseball player. But when we only see three out of ten of our prayers, we think we're somehow subpar as Christians. We need to change the way we think. If you've even had one prayer answered in your life, you're doing amazing. Because how many know God didn't have to even do that? So don't be so hard on yourself. If your batting average isn't where you would like it to be in your prayer life, one of two things needs to happen. Number one, you either need more faith. You have the right things that you're asking God for, but you don't have the right faith. You're doubting. You're throwing out your prayer like a person throws their quarter in the wishing well at Great America. You ever seen that little wishing well of Great America? People making their wishes. That's how you're praying. So you got the right thing to pray for, but you don't have faith. Number two, you may have the right faith. Man, you got enough faith to walk on water like Peter, but you're praying the wrong thing. And so sometimes... We get stuck in between there, and we don't want to grow and develop our prayer life. But we need to. Lord, help me to have faith for that which you want me to pray for, according to your will. Let me have faith for that. And then, Lord, that which is not going to come to pass, that which is not going to be done, it's not according to your will. Let me be at peace with it. Because we're not going to, with our prayers, always get what we want. Can I hear an amen? And the, one of the simplest ways to think about this is when we, we love people and we pray for them and we don't want to lose them, sometimes you've got to let them go. And a lot of churches don't want to tell you that because they want to tell you about getting your miracle and sowing your seed, getting another book. But even them, they've lost the people they've loved. You know, just ask them, man, your book, did it help your mom stay alive? Is she still alive? Your grandma still alive? Everybody dies, right? So 
The people who, like me, believe in faith to see miracles got to make sure that we communicate that message appropriately to the church. Otherwise, we're going to make people feel like the reason why their prayer wasn't answered is because they're in the no faith category. And then that will really mess somebody's head up. How many know when somebody's praying for somebody they love to get healed, how many know they got all the faith in the world? They have more than a mustard seed of faith. So to speak to that person and say, your mom, your grandma, your, your wife even, your, the person you love didn't get healed is your, is your faith problem, that's really going to discourage them. What we need to tell them is that maybe at this time you have to let them go. And I just had a mighty evangelist, mighty evangelist in our first service come visit us, lay hands on people, just bless them, bless them, bless them. He's filling up stadiums. He wants to fill up a stadium here in Chicago. Hopefully you'll get to know more about him. Great man of God, very humble. We're sitting in the back. He's got his three kids. And I go, where's mama? And he says, she's already in heaven. You see? That man of God, don't tell me he didn't have faith for his wife's healing. Don't tell me his wife, did, you know, didn't have faith for her healing. Something happened. I wouldn't even get to go into it. He said, I'll tell you the story at another time. But you can't tell me that she didn't have faith as a Christian, that he didn't have faith. And so what we as pastors have to do when we're teaching you to pray, when we're teaching you to go after God, we have to have an understanding of what's really being done here. And first and foremost, we're presenting our prayers like incense before God. And that needs to always be our focus. He commanded us to pray. I pray that blesses him. Amen? That needs to be my focus. Number two, I get something out of prayer. Number three, others get something out of prayer. That's all benefit. That's all extra. But the first and primary focus is I pray because it blesses him. Can I help you understand how it blesses him? Come on, somebody say, teach me, teacher. Amen. That's what I'm going to do by God's grace. That's what I'm going to do. Watch this right here. When my children come to me complaining, it does the opposite of bless me. Can I hear an amen from some parents? It's the opposite. And, and, and I know you don't have to be a parent to hate complaining. A lot of you have friends that complain. You don't like it. Some of you stop following your friends on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram because they complain too much, always complaining. We don't need that in our world. We got too much complainers. We need more doers, right? But how many like to be around, especially parents, be around your children when they're grateful for things, when they're thankful, when they speak positive? How many of you like to have friends that way? That's the same way with God. Just first and foremost, what do you think God wants to hear from us? How things are going terrible down here or how we're grateful that he's given us a chance to even be alive, to experience love, to see the sunshine. You know, have you ever gone on a Thanksgiving marathon with God before? Have you ever thanked him for your eyes, your eyelashes, the pupils of your eyes? Have you ever gone down the line of your human anatomy? Have you gone through the experiences? There are times that I've challenged myself to see how long I can do it before I get bored. And I'll be honest with you, that's when you'll stop because you'll get so overwhelmed with thanking God, you just don't have the energy to do it. And that's okay because God wants you to go on to other things. Because otherwise, you would literally be praising him and doing nothing else in life. You would have to thank him for the moment that just passed, and then the moment that just passed, and then the moment that just passed. Hold on, I can't talk to you. I'm thanking him for the moment that passed. And I'm not saying praising God is boring. Please, my church is named after Metro Praise because we praise in his name. Come on, all right? Now, I'm not saying that, I, that that's a good thing for me. I'm just saying I get distracted. I can't keep it up. But in heaven, you'll be able to do it as long as you want. You'll be able to say, okay, I've praised you for, you know, a quarter of eternity. Okay, let me come back and get back to this. And another eternity, and then, you know, of course, it never ends. But what we have to see is that from that attitude of gratitude, we can ask God for these other things. 
Miracles, signs, wonders, the salvation of our friends and family, a transformation in politics, a transformation in the community that we live in. And oftentimes, there will be a struggle in our prayers, not because God's will is not known in that matter, but because God is testing us and allowing things to play out for his glory. If you look at the story of Daniel, God had a reason for Daniel going on a prayer and a fast journey before he got that answer because Daniel needed to learn that this is not right away your way, Burger King. Because if God answered every prayer like that, you would get the wrong understanding of what this world is like. How many know that spoiled children don't understand patience? They don't understand, they don't understand delayed gratitude. And so God is teaching us from that. And this is his promise to us, is that every wrong is going to be made right. So some of the things that we know was God's will for someone to get healed of cancer, or we know it was God's will to end the violence in our city, we'll know on judgment day why those prayers didn't get answered in that way. But does every Christian get healed? And in the afterlife, they do. In this life, no. So I'm sorry to make a trick question. Does every Christian get healed in this life? No, but will everybody be healed in the world to come? Yes. Does all violence in in this life? No, but will it end in the kingdom to come? Yes. So now think of it from God's perspective. Number one, God loves when he hears our gratitude. The Bible says that is like an aroma to him. It's a pleasing sound to him. He loves when we make joyful noise. Prayer is also, worship is also a form of prayer. So this blesses God. Number two, it teaches us how to rely upon him and to trust him because life is not always going to go the way that we want it to. We have to see that there is a purpose for our pain. One of the things that we learn from the death of our loved ones is that they're not going to be around forever. So we can't put our trust in marriages. We can't put our trust in our children or in our parents. We have to put our eternal trust in God. Because even though they love us, they care about us, they're going to depart from us. Now, if you look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, we have a great high priest, not the Pope, thank God, and not the Jewish one that was the shadow. We have an actual high priest that is everything we'll ever need to help get our prayers to the Father. And that's why when you pray, you can take confidence that even if my prayer is wrong, God will make it right and will comfort me in it because he loves it when we pray. I can only imagine about the prayers that go up to the throne of God during Super Bowl time, during the World Series. All these people praying for their team to win. Oh, Lord, let this team win, all these things. So now, what does God do if they're, if they're truly Christians? And they're praying to the God of heaven and earth. That's part of that incense. And these angels might see them coming up in colors, you know. Here comes the bears, you know, the orange and blue. Here comes the other ones, you know. Here comes the Lakers, a lot of yellow coming up here. Angels looking at them. But then you could see the Father saying to the Son, I'm not going to answer any of those. You know that, you're right? You know, I'm not going to answer that. But even during that time of people praying for their teams, I believe comfort will come to true Christians to the player that makes a touchdown in that Super Bowl game and then goes down and gives a knee and points to heaven. And he means it. He means it. God is with that person. 
Because the prayer, like I said, wasn't just for the rub the genie's belly and get a wish like Aladdin. It was for us to be grateful to God and trust him in the process so that the one who even loses the game can say, God's will was done. We did our best. But you know what? We're still going to praise God because God has been good. He let us play this game. He let us get out and use our skills for him. And we were blessed to be a blessing through the people who watched us. You know, that's the way we're supposed to look at life. Through our wins and our losses, we're in partnership with this high priest. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why are we supposed to have such a confidence in this? Why are we supposed to trust this Jesus? Because this is the very one who was crucified and rose again from the dead. If that one ascended to heaven, I can trust him. Amen? You're not being asked to trust a religious figure that did something in a secret or had a secret dream or vision. Muhammad comes out of a cave and says, trust me, the angel Gabriel showed up and told me these things. No, you're not basing your faith on that. You're basing your faith on people that saw him die, was buried, not in an unknown grave, but a grave where people knew. Joseph, that one of Arimathea, there it is. And to this day, we have one of two locations where it's at in Jerusalem where they're still trying to debate and figure it out. In that grave he was buried and in that grave he rose showing women first. That's why women can preach because they were the first preachers of the resurrection. Amen? And then from there the church watched him ascend into heaven. They didn't have to believe that. The Jewish people of that time did not understand a dead burial and resurrection of their Messiah, a death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't see that. When you look through the Gospels as we're going in John right now, verse by verse, they always believed, wrongly, but believed that the Messiah would first come as a conquering king. Then the resurrection would happen. They didn't put in there the middle part of where Jesus was going to be the lamb slain. They thought that the, super, uh, the sacrificial system would be enough for their entire kingdom or for the kingdom of God. They didn't realize that the sacrificial system was superficial, that it could only go so deep. You could only rub so much blood on uh, people from animals. Because it wasn't changing inside their heart. See, God's plan was that they would understand through the sacrificial system that what was being done on the surface would be done inside their heart. So the death, burial, and resurrection is an awakening to a new life and a fulfillment of the entire sacrificial code. Because when they put to death a lamb, that lamb never came back, came back to life. It was dead. And a lot of times they ate it. Telling you the truth, they would eat their sacrifices as unto the Lord. We eat communion, but we're not eating Jesus' literal blood and body. Amen? See, the Catholics took that too far because it's a shadow, not the reality, right? Come on. And what we have to understand is that we can trust this one. But notice what Hebrews calls him, a high priest, a high priest. The Jewish people were supposed to remember, oh, yeah, we had high priests. And I've got the scriptures there in Leviticus. Did you know that Leviticus was named after the tribe of Levi where the priesthood came from? The book of Leviticus is for Levites. That's why so often when people try to use that book against us to say, well, why don't you follow all of that? We have to explain to them in the new covenant, we're not the, Le the Levites. We're not following Levitical order. But then they go, oh, but there's some things you follow and there's some things you don't. What's the difference? Those things that are moral, 
that all people had to follow, whether they were Levites, Benjamites, Nephtaliites, Judites. These are the tribes of Israel. All of them had to follow certain rules, but the Levites had to go into the depths of these kinds of rules. Are you tracking with me? And then the Israelites had a certain set of rules. We are saying not that God changed his mind. He doesn't care about those things. No, we're saying in the new covenant, all of those shadows have now been fulfilled. We're saying they've all been fulfilled. And what we keep from those shadows is the morality that was there. That's why we say that same-sex marriage is an abomination to God, but now you can eat shellfish. The reason why they couldn't eat selfish is because part of their rules was to separate themselves from the pagan world and to be a different nation. That nation need to have its own culture and customs based on diet and dress. And those customs were there so that the prophets could have a people to prophesy to. If they were not a separate people, that's what holy means, separate. If they were not a separate people, those people would not have kept their traditions. They needed to keep those traditions so that we would know when Jesus came who he was. Otherwise, anybody at any time could make claims to say, I'm the Messiah. How did we know that Jesus was the Messiah? It's because he fulfilled over 300 prophecies from those Jewish people that had a specific priesthood with culture in their diet and in their dress. Amen? So when people get confused, it's not really that confusing. God gave us those rules for that culture and that group to preserve the testimony of God. So that Jesus, when he would come, he wouldn't just make up stuff and say, follow me. He wanted us to know who he was. Don't you think, come on, you as a parent would want your children to know that you're going to come pick them up and wait for them and to be outside the school and you're going to text them a certain way? Come on, can I hear an amen to them? If that number doesn't come from your number, it says, I'm outside waiting for you, but it says, unknown ID. Do you want your children running outside looking for that person? No, the communication device that you use is a part of your culture. How is God, the creator of heavens and earth, going to communicate to us that he's come down on the earth? He just can't show up and say, I'm God. Anybody can do that. He has to fulfill what, could be impo- what would be impossible for anybody else. A mathematician put together just 10 of those prophecies and said for any one person to fulfill them, it would be like filling the whole state of Texas with quarters up to your hip and only one of them being marked and you trying to find that one marked quarter or that one marked coin. That's only 10 out of the 300. So Jesus comes born of a virgin. That eliminates pretty much the whole human race, right? How many know that that's, that's going to be a deal breaker for most from being God in the flesh? The next thing, he has to be from the tribe of Judah. Well, see, now he can't come from any nation. It has to be from this nation. So you're expecting the Messiah to come from that nation. That's why during Christmas time, you talk about the wise men. How did these wise men get so wise? Were they just like Tony and Antony? Oh, these are wise guys over there. Tony and Antony. Yeah, I know them. They're wise guys. Yeah, they're wise guys. Is that, is that how they became wise guys? No, they became wise guys because Daniel's people, the Jewish people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were in Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, they taught the pagans their traditions. These kings, these rulers of the east came from Babylon because their ancestors had kept the traditions of this wise guy named Daniel who had taught them about this. 
That's why those pagan men came from those other nations, because they knew these signs were going to happen to that specific people, the Jewish people. It would be in Bethlehem. There would be a star. It would be from the line of the tribe of Judah. That's where his family would be from. Can I hear an amen? So going back to the scriptures... We have a high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We need to hold firmly to our faith. Jesus is not a myth. Jesus is not like Zeus. Jesus is not like Mithra. They didn't put this story together and then just tell us to believe it now. These are Jews who were very specific about the way they worshiped God and were waiting for the Messiah. And part of how we know he's the Jewish Messiah is because the people of that day crucified him. How do we know he's actually the real deal? Because they killed him. You might say, how does that make sense? Let me explain it to you. Have you ever heard anybody say, I just wish I could see God. I just wish I could meet God. I want to see him face to face. People already did, and they crucified him. Because God doesn't do things the way you do it. Okay, that's the first thing is that when God came to the Jewish people, he threw them so far off that they thought the best way to deal with them was to kill him. Now, why is that showing me he's the Messiah? Because that's exactly what Psalm 22 says. Open up Psalm 22, please. Our Messiah is prophesied to be crucified. Our Messiah is said that he's going to say these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was actually one of the prophecies of our Messiah. Now go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years before Jesus. Who has believed our message in verse 1? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So this is not a handsome Brad Pitt Jesus, okay? This is not like the kind of Jesus you just want to hang out with and say, man, you're good looking. You're going to help me get chicks. No, man, he's the one people kind of run from. Look, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind. Somebody's like, was he kind of like a Tom Holland cute? Because everybody like kind of like hated on Tom Holland, but now everybody likes Tom Holland. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was like a Tom Holland. I don't know. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with what? Pain. You can't just say pain. You go, pain. He's going to feel that pain, man. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering. He was considered punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced. Listen to those words and think about the cross. Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Somebody say, that's my Jesus. Amen, that's my Jesus. See, we're not making this stuff up. That's why when I talk to the other religions and I ask them, what's the basis of your faith? Well, my guy had a dream. My guy had a vision. I did too when I was flying, man. What does that mean? How many have dreams where you fly? Does that mean now you're going to fly? I believe I can fly. Man, I really believe it. When I'm in that dream, man, that's what I mean. When I'm in that dream, I believe I can fly. I like control it. I've actually trained myself that once I go into a flying dream, I'm like, oh, don't leave here now. Boys, we've been waiting for this. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I just got to tell somebody in that dream, we're not leaving yet. We're not leaving yet. We're going to figure this out. And like somehow I whip my head around and I'm like flying all over the place. It's all in my head, you know. And then I get so good at it. And one of the dreams, like I was showing people, like, look, man, come on over here. I can fly. And I was showing them I can fly. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, 
did it to me again. I believed I could fly. I believed I could touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. But I can't fly. So I have to move on in my life. So, so you, you have dreams. So what? This guy had a dream. Oh, he said this, this, and that. Oh, he did a magic trick. No, no, no. We're not even talking about Jesus' miracles in and of themselves being the proof. We're saying that the greatest proof of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, of uh, being the Son of God, God in the flesh, is that he fulfilled the Word of God that was woven within the traditions of all of these generations of Jewish people going back to Hebrews. And yet we see, this is, remember, the book is written to Jews. I know some of you are new to our sermon series. We're actually going through a book written to Jews, okay? That's why it's called Hebrews, okay? It's not because he likes coffee or he likes to, to have... Uh, what is, what is this? Lemon in his beer. So he brews his own beer, you know, flavored drinks and stuff. He brews. But listen, this is because it's written to the Jewish people, okay? These Jewish people understood high priest. They came from the tribe of Levi. They had a book written about them. But now the Christians are saying, Christ's followers are saying, Jesus is that high priest. And guess what? If Jesus is a high priest forever, as we're going to learn in the next chapters, then we don't ever need somebody walking around calling themselves a pope or that kind of priest. We don't ever need it again. We may have people that are like elders and deacons and all of these kinds of people, teachers and all these things in the church, but we don't need to look to anybody to be the priest. We don't need anybody to go before God on our behalf like a priest. We don't need that because we're a nation of priests. Let me show you that was God's original intent. Go with me to Exodus chapter 19. What does the word Exodus sound like? Exit, getting out of a place, right? That's why it said that, that's why it's there in the English. To exit, they're leaving captivity in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. And right at the beginning, when God shows up at Mount Sinai, this place that he's going to meet with Moses, he says what his goal of doing this was. Like, why did he get them out of Egypt? Why are they there now? Look at what he says. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my what? Treasured possession. Everybody say that together. Treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a what? A kingdom of what? Priests and a what? A holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That's what God said to Moses. Go tell them this. But you know what happens? When the Israelites show up to the mountain and God starts to meet with them, they freak out, they get scared, and then they tell Moses, you talk to God and we'll just listen. From that point on, we now had the need of having intercessors on this earth on our behalf. That was never God's plan. Can I tell you right now, women, you were never supposed to have pain in childbirth either. You can thank Eve for that, right? And you were never supposed to be the weaker vessel. Somebody say superwoman. See, in the Garden of Eden, it was superman and superwoman, two made into the same image with the same power and strength. The curse that came upon the female brought her to a lower uh, strength by birth and then said that she would have a natural desire to be under her husband. And I know women today, you are equal with men in all ways. We agree with you. But in your demeanor, on average, you wish for a man to give you some kind of leadership. And unless that curse is broken by God, that will be the default. 
Okay, And no matter how, how much women try to do it without God's help, their feminism actually is a reverse of their independence. It's still making them subjected to a man by, the, by them trying to prove how much better than a man they are equal to a man. Because if you do it God's way, the equality is not forced. In other words, my wife and I have equality, but we have differences. And we can celebrate those differences. When you try to deny those differences, you actually don't make yourself more of a woman. You make yourself less of a woman because now you don't have your identity to live up to. Now you're trying to be a man. And then a woman trying to be a man is a bad man. Right? And then a, woman, a man trying to be a woman is a bad woman. You guys get that? But if a woman can be all that God called her to be, then she'll be equal to a man being all that God called him to be. Amen? Now, in the family, God still asks there to be order. As my wife and I, we're both equal. There has to be a final vote. So he asks for the husband to have the final vote, but that doesn't mean she doesn't have a vote. Now, that is not because of our sexuality, because once again, God made us both in his image. So it's not like the woman is, is deficient in any way. It's just God chose it to be that way. He could have chosen the woman to have the final vote, but he chose the man. And then in the kingdom to come, we will not be in those positions of wives, husbands, uh, uh, children, parents anymore. We'll all just be sons and daughters of God. Amen? We'll still retain our identity as knowing if we were male or female because remember that perfectly represents God. But we will then have all of the curses broken off of us. So women will have that superwoman nature equal, equal to men in their physical nature, in their resurrected body. Amen? So think about that, women. You're going to be superwomen with supermen ruling and reigning with Christ. So don't mess with them. Amen? Uh, men, don't mess with them. But now look at this scripture. He said to them, I want you to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Did they want it? No. They wanted someone to speak on their behalf. They got scared when God came down and they said, we don't want to meet with you, God. You have Moses be our mediator and then we'll meet with Moses. Now go to 1 Peter. Somebody say new covenant. Thank you. In 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, we see that this is restored back to us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not, be, con do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do because he is holy. Can I hear an amen? Be holy because I am holy, God said. Now, keep going on into 1 Peter here, into chapter 2. Now look at chapter 2, looking at verse, start in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a what? Come on, everybody say it, into a what? Spiritual house, thank you, to be a what? Holy priesthood. Well, Peter, you're supposed to be the Pope. That's just for you and your boys. No, as you, talking to everybody, the same ones that I just read to you in chapter 1. Put up the other tab, please, so that everybody can see it. In chapter 1, is everybody called to be holy? Yeah, look at chapter 1, verse 16. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Everybody's supposed to be holy there, right? Okay, now go back to that other ch tab. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, you're precious to the Lord. You're a chosen people, or you're a living stones, and you're called to be a what? A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And then all of these prophecies come 
through Jesus Christ. And where does it end? Now look at verse 9. But you are a what? Chosen people, a what? Royal priesthood and a what? Holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why is that important? Because in the Old Testament, they were called to do that, and they didn't want it. They didn't want it. That is a deep thought to think about what the Old Testament would have looked like if they would have received their calling. They would have had more privileges as ordinary folks if they would have received that. But because they didn't, they got excluded from the temple. God now tells them, if that's the way you want it, okay, I'm not going to force you. You're going to get your way. He said, now I'm going to have a high priest, and the high priest can only come in here once a year. So nobody can just come in whenever they want. And even the one that can come in, he can only come in once a month. How does, I mean, once a year. How does that sound as a relationship with God? Does that sound pretty fun and exciting? Only talking to him once a year? No, but it's definitely better than kissing a rock in Mecca, though, right? Because that's just an idol. At least they got to meet with the real God of the Bible, amen? At least they didn't have to pray to a monkey-headed God. You ever seen the monkey-headed gods of Hinduism? Put up the monkey-headed god of Hinduism, please. At least that wasn't their god. I mean, I don't say this to be disrespectful, but I want to teach you. The god of the Israelites is the god of heaven and earth. So it's a privilege, yes, to worship him and be in his presence. But that doesn't sound very exciting to only come see him, what, once a year? And that's not even me. That's not even you. That's that priest. And if you look at the book of Leviticus, it gets so personal into the priest that he can't even be cross-eyed. He can't have anything wrong with his male parts. That's how technical it gets. I'll say it like that. He can't have acne or skin issues. I, I would be disqualified in a hundred different ways. Number one, I'm not even an Israelite, right? But the Bible says that this man at this time could do it. And once again, he had to be a man. How many are glad this is not your God? Amen. So the Jewish people weren't worshiping this God. They at least got to meet with their God that was not an idol made of stone that they had to put on their shelves and to make move when they wanted it to move. Thank you. We pray for people who follow false gods like this to come and know and love Jesus. Amen. Now I want you to think about this. Do you appreciate the new covenant like you're supposed to? Because what do you now have as a Christian restored back to you? The priesthood. Now through Jesus Christ, you and I, sister, we can talk right to Jesus. Neither one of us are Jew. You were a female, so you couldn't do it, right? I couldn't do it because I'd be disqualified from the physical defects. And then now you can come anytime you want. Doesn't that make sense to why David said, oh, how good it is to dwell in the, in the temple of the Lord, in the, in the house of God. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. Isn't that what David said? I want to be with God 24-7. The, the heart of the Psalms is David crying out. Go to Psalm chapter 24, please, and see the heart of a true Israelite, a man after God's own heart, crying out for um, a relationship that goes into more depth than just a high priest once a year. Who may ascend into the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God like what we just saw. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. How many want to see the scripture better is one day in your presence? Amen. I'm going to go back to scholar Google. Better is one day. I want you to see this, this man crying out to God. Asking the Lord for more of a relationship, Psalm 84, than just what the priesthood could have. 
Jesus being our high priest gives us a new covenant. And that new covenant restores us to being now his priests. All of us. Look at Psalm 84 verse 10. Psalm 84 verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. David said, man, when it came to meet with God, when that day would come, that day of atonement once a year, I would rather be just chilling by the door watching that priest go in than go partying with all the wicked downtown in Chicago up in the penthouses. He said, man, I would rather just watch the door and watch that priest go in than to be in the tents of the wicked. So do you appreciate the new covenant? Going back to our passage, please, in Hebrews, we need to take advantage of this. Notice this uh, author writing here. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's our high priest. That's not Father Tom who's been touching little Timmy. That's the one that has never sinned. And these Roman Catholic priests need to come out of their dark hiding places and it needs to be exposed. But that's the wickedness that has come from people glorifying the shadow, telling people not to marry, not to have children, and then they find themselves sexually frustrated in those positions that they never should have had. We shouldn't think of priests like that. We should think of the one high priest that fulfilled all of the priests of the Old Testament. And now guess what? You get to be one. Why? Because you're in the priesthood. You're not a Levite by birth. You might have birth defects that disqualify you from it, but you get to be brought in. Isn't that what Peter said? The very ones that the Roman Catholic Church say should be the Pope. He should be the one saying how different he is than everybody else. He says just the opposite. He talks about himself in the plural with all of them. Please go back to that passage in 1 Peter. Notice what he says to them. He speaks to them in the same category as himself. That he's there with him, that he's not separate. Verse 4, as you come to him, chapter 2, verse 4, the living stone rejected uh, by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built together to be a spiritual house, to be a holy what? Priesthood. He speaks in the plural. Living stones. They try to say rock uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, that upon this rock I will build my church. They try to say that's Peter. But notice he speaks in the plural. You are living stones. There's not just one stone that the church is being built upon. It's upon every Christian believer, every Christ follower. I'm a spiritual priest today. You're a priest today. Now you might say, Pastor, what's the difference between pastors, you know, elders, deacons, those who have calls in the ministry? That's just priests operating in different ways. But I'm actually of the persuasion that the same kind of gifts I have, you have, and that there's really no difference. I really believe that because I know myself. You may want to think there's a difference between you and I, but I don't think there is. I've checked the toilet after I've gone to the bathroom, and guess what? It stinks. It's, it's not rainbow ice cream. I'm not a unicorn. I'm just like you. I put on my pants one leg at a time too. Seriously, like I understand me. I'm like you. There is literally no difference. I have tried to think what makes me different. I don't think there is a difference. 
So you might say, Pastor, then why are you holding the mic today? Why are you teaching us today? Because I'm the one called to do it. That's the difference. That's it. If you were called to do what I am doing, you could do it. How many of you teach the Bible? How many of you share it? Like four of you? Okay, what are the rest of you guys doing? There's a command for you to actually teach the Bible, okay? How many of you teach the Bible? Now more of you raising your hand. Okay, good. Well, guess what? You're doing exactly what I do. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, this person's already prayed for me. You pray for me. I understand that sentiment because there's a heart that we have for people in relationship that we want to know that they love us and pray for us. I get that. Joe, pray for me. And I love praying for you. And I offer that, you know, often. I offer that in the second, uh, the first service. I offer that. But you have to understand, my prayer for you is not any more efficacious, any more uh, powerful than anyone else's prayer in this church Who has the faith that I have, that believes the way I believe? And so sometimes we think to ourselves, well, the the person up there has a measure of faith that none of us in the congregation have. And I do not believe that. I believe that there are times and places where you can have as much faith as I do and even more at times. I've seen some of you in this church pray over situations that you had more faith for and I was ready to go to McDonald's and get something to eat. And you might think to yourself, well, God forbid that would happen. Remember I told you I'm just like you? Has anybody ever asked you to pray and you felt like moving on to something else in life? Yeah, and that's why you better make sure you're not lying on your Facebook post when you're saying you're praying but you're just scrolling. Okay? But I'll be honest with you. I haven't always come to every prayer with faith. That's why I say for these altar workers, uh, you know, for the church to function, these altar workers are very important because they've been listening to me preach the whole time. They're prepared to come pray. Some of them know you personally. I'm telling you that prayer could be more powerful for you than me. Now, that doesn't give me an excuse to be rude and to brush you off and not care about what I'm praying about. No, I want my batting average of prayer to be up there too. I want you to know that when pastor prays, we can start believing God for an answer. Like, I want you to believe that. Like when Joe B. and his wife Karina were having a troubled pregnancy, when I started praying with them, we saw a miracle. I want to see that happen more. But it's not like, well, if you just get Joe on the team, now the miracle happens. Because I don't determine whether the miracle happens. And that's been our biggest problem in the Pentecostal church is we make the heroes out of the zeros. We're all just zeros following the hero, my friend. That's all we are. Reinhard Bonnke was asked because he's the largest, uh, he, he gathered the largest evangelistic crowd of all time. He's gathered larger crowds than any person who has ever preached the gospel known to the planet. So he has seen even at one time, one million people come to know Jesus Christ at one altar call, one million people in Africa. Amen. Now, in Africa, when he did it, people would ask him, how do you do this? How do you, what's the strategy? And of course, God gave him wisdom for it. But he said, we lift up the one and get a bunch of zero. So you get one, zero, 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 zero. And that's how you get a million. So you get a bunch of us who are nobodies to all run to the somebody. Now, I'm not saying we now walk around with a low self-esteem. I'm just a zero. I'm a nobody because in Christ, we're all somebodies. But the point remains that on our own, we're all nothing. The Bible says we're but dust and vapor. So why would you put trust in me as dust and vapor to get an answer to prayer for you when everyone has been invited to pray the same way? Go to James, please. The last... um, chapter of James, chapter 5. This, once again, does not mean that I shouldn't have practiced more, 
that I shouldn't be a leader and worthy of following because some of you are new to the church. So I should be more experienced in praying, and that's a benefit. I should be more experienced in teaching the Bible, and I should be trained to do what I am doing weekly as a pastor. So I'm not saying there aren't differences between what I do, but who we are is the same. Can I hear an amen to that? How many know there's a difference between you and I if we were to do anything in life? Just anything. Some of you are faster. Some of you are slower. Some of you are stronger. Some of you are weaker. Some of you are funny. Some of you try. Some of you, some of you have money. Some of you don't have money. You know, there's all these differences. But does that mean we are different as people? Like as what our nature is, who we are in the, in the spiritual realm, in, in, in our hearts. No, we're all the same. We all need God. We all need to trust him. We all need to have faith for him. That's why, honestly, and I say this with everything in my heart, please, those of you who love signs and wonders and want more of God's presence in this church, please hear my heart. I welcome you to do that because that is a weakness of mine. My gift is to preach and teach. My weakness is to lay hands and to see all the signs and wonders, even though I have eagerly, trust me when I say, eagerly desired these things. And I still see them. Um, my brother, go to our website and put in journal in the search bar, and I'll show you a journal of your pastor's life of miracles, signs, and wonders, okay? I want, you, I want you to know I have a testimony of signs and wonders in my life, but if I were to be honest, I don't have as many as my friends and others, and I've never pretended to do that because I won't fake it. If you're going to get healed in this church and I'm going to testify about it, it's not just going to be because the rumbling in your tummy went away. It's because there was a legitimate thing the doctor showed. I'll be the most skeptical of my own prayers. Well, Pastor, I got healed. Can I see the doctor's report on that? Was somebody else there to witness it? That's just the way that I am because I want to see legitimate miracles. I don't want to shuck and jive. Now, just scroll up so everybody can see this. Uh, scroll up for me. That's scrolling down. If you scroll up right here, my personal miracle journal was put out in 2018. Go ahead and scroll up now or down, now down. Here's me casting out demons by God's grace in India. Go ahead and scroll down. Casting out demons. I have testimonies here, and as often as I can, pause here, I have witnesses. Witness Mel Rose. Witness Fred, Freddie, this person. Witness Troy Bond. Does everybody see this? I have witnesses because I want you to know that you can trust me if I say I can have miracles. And just go ahead and keep scrolling. Follow my hand here. Thank you. Keep going. Then to dreams. I've had dreams come true. Go ahead and scroll. Let's keep going. Just to encourage you as a pastor, visions. How many keep journals like this? Okay, amen, you should. Keep going, keep going. A message of wisdom. I go through all the gifts of the Spirit, message of knowledge, and sometimes I don't keep up with all of this, okay? Go ahead and scroll down so everybody can see there's a testimony here of a pastor seeing signs and wonders, okay? Do you see those testimonies there? Do you see that I've taken the time to even give you the research to go back and study yourselves? Can I hear an amen? Now go to the book of James. Go to the book of James, chapter 5. And what does it say here? Looking at Elijah, who actually stopped the weather on demand, like how we would go to the thermostat and set the weather temperature, this man was setting the temperature of an entire region for years, called down fire multiple times, two of the times to actually destroy people and kill them when the fire came down, okay? So be careful about how you test God. So in other words... Out of all the prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah is your dude for signs and wonders. He's your guy. Somebody say Elijah. Elijah is your guy. 
That's why he came with Moses on the temple, I mean, on the mountain of transfiguration. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Elijah is your dude. No one has ever seen as a prophet more signs and wonders than Elijah, except Elisha, his understudy, who asked to do double. But it was all because of what God was doing, Elijah, what God was using Elijah to do. Somebody say Elijah. Now look at verse 17, chapter 5. How does James teach us to look to Elijah? Elijah was a human being even as we are. So why are we making heroes out of zeros? The first thing you're supposed to learn in the New Testament is that he's always the hero. He's the high priest. He's the one that we have confidence in. He's the one that was sinless. He's the one that died for our sins, was buried and rose again. He's the one we're talking to. I don't need to talk to his mother. I don't need to talk to his friends. I can talk directly to him in the cloud. Amen? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, now he goes on preaching that message. What was his point? Go ahead and look at it for yourself. Elijah was a human being. His point was, if that Elijah was just like you and I, and he prayed, and he saw those things, y'all better pray and see some things. Amen? Don't get discouraged. Don't put yourself down. Look to your high priest. Going back to Hebrews, quickly in closing, the high priest of Jesus means, Jesus being high priest means I have a relationship with him and that he knows me and that I'm never alone. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Don't get discouraged, brother or sister. Hold on to your faith. You may not see every prayer answered, but Jesus is up there speaking to the Father on your behalf. And listen, when it talks about him, listen to how it talks about him. When we approach him, or rather, uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize or empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. When you and I start to pray, we shouldn't feel this disconnect from Jesus. Like, oh, man, I just messed up today, Jesus. You can't understand this. No, he's been a part of every mistake, everything that we've ever been through. He understands perfectly. And then here's the thing. He's been tempted in every way like us. Now you might say, well, he's never failed. How does he understand? Because he understands how to get you out of it. What do you want him to understand? How to stay as a failure? Sometimes people talk to me and they say, well, you wouldn't understand how to help me through a divorce because you haven't been divorced. What do you want to learn? How to keep getting divorced or how to have a good marriage? Well, you've never smoked crack, sold your body on Belmont and Clark to Tuan for $1.99, so you can't help me. No, I don't have to go out there and start selling my body on Belmont and Clark to help you get out of that lifestyle. Are you listening? I can teach you how to be pure and holy. See, Jesus doesn't have to be a sinner to understand sin. He understands sin because he's whooped it so many times. Stop looking to follow losers. Start following some winners. Amen. Start following some winners in life. Why do I, you know, I want, a, I want a person who understands all my mistakes. I understand what you mean by that. What you're saying is you want somebody that can have compassion on you. They can do that without having to mess up the way you messed up. Otherwise, we can only have redheaded stepchildren who wet their bed until they were 10 years old disciple other redheaded stepchildren who wet their bed until they were 10 years old. It's not like we have to find a perfect match. 
When you're getting discipled and you're being around people, don't look for people that have the same failures as you. Find the people that have successes where you failed. Amen? That's why a lot of the groups we have in the church, I appreciate them, but I always want them to be balanced. Well, we're going to have single mom group. Why? So all y'all can complain about baby daddies? Well, I'm a single mom, and I hate my baby daddy. My name's Mary or whatever, you know. Hi, Mary. We all hate our baby daddy too, you know. And it's like all single moms get, no, single moms get together with married moms. Put yourself in that situation because that's who you're called to be. You're not supposed to stay as a single mom. But I get it because everybody goes, well, nobody understands me. I go to these groups. They don't get me because it's only married groups. See, a marriage group or a small group or any group that doesn't have a place for everybody is already doing it wrong. Okay? I know that we want to relate. Trust me, I'm not against those groups. We've always had them. They'll come back, and they come in and out as people want to start them. We always let our, our elders and deacons can start whatever thing they want to do as long as it's in the Bible. Amen? We don't hold them back. We're not, we're not like, like stressing about jealousy. We don't get that in our church. I, was, I met a member of one church. They said, we asked the pastor for three years to start a Bible study. We still couldn't start. That's not here. If you come an elder or deacon, you can start whatever you want for Jesus. Amen? But the reason why we don't encourage it, and I'm not always pushing it on, the, well, we need a men's group. We need a young men's group. We need, we need a group between men and young men's group, the 20-something group, you know. And then we need a group for men that are 20-something, but sometimes don't always feel like a man, you know. And then it's like you got four group for them. How about this? Read your Bible and be a man. I want, I want this group for the women and this group for the Well, how about read your Bible and be a woman? Be what God called you to be. You don't need 20 million groups teaching you the basics of Christian faith. The basics of Christian faith are for everybody. That's why when people ask me, they say, well, how have you been married and, and doing so well? How many books did you read on marriage? One? Maybe a half of one? I don't know. I had to read one, I think, for marriage counseling. So we try to give you guys the wisdom, but we're not pushing it on you because we understand that which makes a healthy marriage is a healthy Christian. Read this book. This is my marriage book. You know, well, how, how do you deal with rebellious children? Well, I'll tell you how my mom did, dealt with it. She spanked me till she couldn't spank me anymore, brought me to church till she couldn't bring me to church anymore, and then she kicked me out of her house. <laughs> That's how she dealt with me. Now I'm a pastor, okay, so it worked. Amen? Because some of y'all just, you, you want to counsel the situation out. No, sometimes you just need to cast it out in Jesus' name. But don't get me wrong, I got a bunch of books back there for you too, okay? It's, it's not like an either or, it's a both and, but the priority is always on what is God saying. If you don't have a relationship with your high priest, I can't be that priest for you. And I notice this, and I don't say this to put anybody down because so many of you pay me great compliments and you love me. You do, you love me. But I have to guard you from making me an idol, okay? And what I mean by that is if you're not in right relationship with the high priest, me as your priest can't do anything for you. And then that's when you get your feelings hurt because you don't know how to talk to God. You want to keep talking to me. And then when I don't pick up the phone, then you say I let you down. And I want everybody to listen to me. I don't feel sorry for you. I'm just being honest with you because I know what brought me through was not ten pastors, four phone calls, three counseling sessions. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how I got to be where I'm at today. And I will, I will assure you of this. We will always have somebody to take your call, though, even though if it's not me or not the one you're expecting. We will. We commit to that in a church, okay? That's what we commit to. There will always be someone to take your call because we won't let you be by yourself. We won't. But I am telling you, no matter who it is, if you don't know how to talk to your high priest, you won't get out of that mess. 
Now, what we do in discipleship is teach you how to learn from that high priest, how to go to that high priest, how to hear his empathy towards you. Does Jesus have empathy towards us? Yes, it, yes he does. Highlight it. it. He says, it says that he's not unable to. That means he's able to. So that means whatever you're going through, Jesus is able to empathize. And I can relate to some of you going through that. I can. Because when I, got first, when I first got saved, I was 18 years old, high school dropout, partier, and the, the one that God sent me to disciple me was a guy named Donald living in a nursing home. And I was like, what am I doing here? I met him at the all-night prayer meeting. It was like five people, pastor, this dude, his wife, and some random homeless guy, <laughs> just whoever would wander in that day. And I come to this all-night prayer meeting, and Donald's, God bless his heart, probably in his 60s, but he had health challenges. N no offense. I don't say this to offend anybody, but I think he had to wear a diaper. I think he had uh, bowel issues. His wife was handicapped, but he came to that church, okay? And he started talking to me, and he started asking me questions about the Bible. And I said, man, I don't know that. I don't know that. And he said, can I disciple you? Can I do some Bible studies with you? Man, you know what makes me want to cry right now? Man, I've been on the streets. I had done all these crimes. I had been to a mega church, a big church. Nobody asked me that. This brother just said, man, can I disciple you? Can I teach you the scriptures? Man, I started coming over to his house after I'd drive pizzas all night long, and he would be ready up, up and ready for me. And I remember because I was detoxing off of all these hard drugs, and I was dealing with anxiety, and I'll never forget. He goes, oh, man, I got a scripture for you. I got a scripture for you. For the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I saw anxiety leave my life that day because that man took his time. You understand? That's what discipleship looks like. But he didn't. He didn't have to be a drug dealer like me. He didn't have to be a teenage delinquent like me. He didn't have to have sex outside of marriage like the way I was partying or a cool kid like me. He was the exact opposite. But you know what? He knew my high priest. He knew how to get a hold of Jesus. And he knew how to teach me to hear Jesus. And so I was able to start hearing Jesus beyond my fears, beyond all those things. And that's what good discipleship looks like. They, they bring you to Jesus and share with you their weaknesses because we're all not like Jesus. We have sinned. We can talk about our mistakes, but we're not using our mistakes as authority. I've been through three divorces. I know something about marriage. That's not how we're speaking from authority. We're speaking not from our experience, but the Word of God. This is our authority. Thus says the Lord. And I remember the first couple of times that I dealt with people as a pastor because I started at 22 years old, and I would be dealing with parents and moms and, and, and parents and their issues. And they would ask me, well, have you ever done this before? And I'm like, I don't even have kids. I'm not married. I've never been a parent before. But I can show you what says, thus says the Lord. I'm going to show you as a mama how to go back home with the scriptures. I'm going to show you, sir, how to go back home and be a husband. And you know what people used to say to me? Because people are always rotten, filthy sinners when they're haters. How many know there are some haters that are just some rotten, filthy sinners? Well, you, you know, it's going to be different when you get married. You know, well, you've just been a pastor, single pastor, giving out all that advice, but wait till you have a wife. Wait, wait till you have kids. You know what I noticed is that all of them were just jealous because when I got married, my marriage has been blessed now, going on almost 20 years. What you going to say now, hater? Come on, what you going to say now? I haven't been married long enough. You've already been married three times, and I'm still married once. I'm older now than those haters were when they first met me. When you get older, you'll know, I'm older than you now. And I'm still more on fire for you in Jesus' name, all by his grace. Not by my power. It's not by my might. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. But don't let people discourage you. 
from their failure. Well, it's your first year of marriage is going to be like this. Or, oh, you know what? You're too strong of a woman of God. You won't have a man that will want to be with you. Don't let people lie to you like that. You take the promises that the Lord gave you to the bank, deposit them, and go drive with the money in the bank account because he's going to keep his word. If he said it, he's going to do it. It may not look like the way you want it to look, but it's going to come. And then old timers say it may not come when you want him to, but he's never late. He's always on time. This is a great place to stop. Brother Dare, would you come up here for me, please? Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find help, a grace to find help in our time of need. I understand it. I get it. I know why there's people who want to go to Father Tom today, and I know not all of them are, are nasty, okay? There's a lot that are being hid in that organization, but I get why people want to go to a good Catholic priest, you know, a guy that's a good, strong leader. He loves, he loves Jesus. I'm not saying they're going to hell, right? You know, we disagree with them, but, you know, I get it. You know, there's something about that that makes them feel like they're becoming a disciple. They're confessing their sins. They feel like they're going to Jesus in one way because they literally believe that the priest is like Jesus to them, okay? They don't worship, and there is a distinction they'll make, but they'll say that's what Jesus is like, you know? But I get why they want to do it. Some of you have family members, and so do I, that, that go to confession and do all of that. I get it. They, they want someone to tell them it's going to be all right. They want someone to say, do these things, pray these Hail Marys, say these are fathers, and everything will be resolved. But can I tell you something? There's something better than that. There's something better than that. I know in this church why people want to talk to a guy like me. I get it. I get it. Like, hey, I'm relatable. Hey, I can talk to you. I can ask you these questions. I get it. That, that there's a part of you that wants that. You don't worship me, but you just want my help. I get it. But listen to me. The most important thing you need is not a priest, Father Tom or Pastor Joe. What you need is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you don't have that, you're putting, as they say, the cart before the horse because you're putting discipleship in front of your salvation. Discipleship is not salvation. Discipleship is something that happens after salvation. But you see, people think that's what I'm doing for them. Even when you testify about this church, brothers and sisters, please make sure you guard your testimony. Well, I didn't understand the word of God until I came here, and then this leader did this, and I wouldn't be here without them. We get that. We understand that. Thank you for those kind words. Those are, those are generous and kind words, and we receive that with humility. But who was using that person? It was God. They were the puppet. God was the voice. You don't go up to the ventriloquist puppet after the show and talk to the puppet. Man, you were amazing. You were so funny the way you were moving your mouth around, little stories that you told, you little puppet. You're amazing. You don't do that. You talk to the ventriloquist. You talk to the guy who did the thing, you know? You, you, you talk to the creator. And so we need to be grateful. It's always a balance in this. We do need to be grateful. But what are you grateful for? You're grateful that God used this person. I've even had people tell me, I don't like the word use because it sounds like, you know, we're not that important to God. God just uses us. But I'm sorry if you don't like it. I mean, it's the truth. And he could use anyone else if he wanted to. I'm replaceable. There have been people more gifted than me, people more knowledgeable than me, who have died in a moment. And they had to be replaced. And God's kingdom goes on. And as much as I say this with no disrespect, but they're mostly forgotten. They're mostly forgotten. 
If I asked you about all the great men and women of God that built the denominations that we've come from, most of you wouldn't even be able to name a couple names, like the Pentecostal denomination, the Baptist denomination. We know maybe one or two of thousands that came before us, handing down the Word of God to us. Even in your own family, some of you had praying grandmothers or mothers or family members. Do you know that by the time they get to be my children's age and the next generation, they can easily be forgotten? Like my beautiful grandparents, my mother's turning 80, New Year's Eve, that's her birthday, December 31st. She's turning 80 years old. Do you know that Titus, if she doesn't live much longer, I don't want to speak this against my mom, but mama will be like, why are you talking about me like that? But let me just make the point here, mama, because she always watches my message. If she dies anytime soon, Titus, my youngest, is not going to remember grandma. I have fleeting memories of my great-grandma. You see, that's why you can't count on those people. They're good, like Christian grandmas, they're amazing. How many have had the privilege of having some Christian grandmas? They're amazing. We should never take them for granted. But we can't let them carry us through. you got to trust your high priest who empathizes with you, who gets you. And you see, you have to be able to come to that throne of grace. Is it called a throne of judgment? No, you got to come there with confidence. I know when I am doubting. I'm like Adam, and I've sinned, and I've run away from God. And I also know those times when my faith is right, and I come running to God. You have to know the difference because a lot of times people come to me and they're struggling and they go, Pastor, I've tried it and it didn't work. And then I ask them, how did you come to God? And a lot of them say, well, I came, you know, like this. And they'll, they'll describe to me like condemnation and guilt. And then they'll wonder why they didn't receive peace. You can't come to God with a guilty conscience in the sense of feeling sorry for yourself. The guilt of your conviction can bring you to God, but you can't use that to feel sorry for yourself. Like in other words, you can't come praying, oh God, you know, I'm just a dude, man. I looked at pornography again. I always do this, man. I don't think anything's going to change, but God, could you please help me? That's, you won't see an answer to prayer that way. You have to come with confidence. You have to be able to come to God and go, God, I know you understand me. I know you get this, and I know that you gave me power to overcome this, and you showed me how to do this. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Amen? You don't come looking to me for it. I can give you advice, but you don't get it from me. I'll pray for you, but you can't get it from me. Every man that's been free from pornography for five years or more, stand up in this church, please. Any man in this place that's been free from pornography, don't you lie, because God is watching. Amen. Any man that's still sitting down, we're not here to embarrass you. I just wanted you to see them. Thank you. Do you know that these men that say, God has set me free from pornography, don't attribute it to me. Each one of them have their own stories. But they'll say like, Pastor, hey, you encouraged me. Pastor, you showed me it could be done. Pastor, you prayed for me. They'll, they'll say, I'm sure, all of that, right? But they can't attribute it to me. Because the same ones that were sitting down, no offense, I've prayed, I've counseled, I've given them advice. So what's the difference? It's how they applied between them and God what's going on. 
And I know it's so simple, saints. I know it is. But when the Bible says he's the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by him, that's just not something to say when you preach into a Buddhist, you know, like, hey, man, Buddha isn't my way. Jesus is my way. No, that means when you're looking at me or any leader in your church, it's not them. It's always Jesus. Well, my leader let me down. So what? Do you still have Jesus to go to the Father with? Go to Jesus and go to the Father. Well, that church did this, this, and that. Yeah, churches do crazy stuff all the time. But do you still have Jesus and are you going to the Father? Well, my parents, they were Christians and they did this, this, and this. Yeah, but do you still have Jesus and are you going to the Father? Because he's our high priest. He's the one that ascended to heaven. He's the one that emphasizes or relates to us and empathizes with us. He knows us and will deliver us from all of our problems and help us with grace and mercy in our time of need. Would you give it up for Jesus today? Come on, somebody. Let's stand to our feet today. Give him all the glory and honor. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? I'm coming to Jesus. Would you pray right now? If you don't know him, would you get to know him? If you didn't understand everything about the Jewish history of the message, can you at least remember this today? Jesus is your high priest. And he asks you to be a priest with him and a holy people. If you don't yet know God, ask him to come into your heart. Even right now, you can come forward if you'd like somebody to pray with you. And you can simply say, Jesus, I believe you're my high priest. You're my Lord and Savior. You died on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended to heaven so that I can have help in my time of need. If you're already a Christian, what help do you need in your time of need? Would you raise up your hands even now? If you don't want to come forward, just where you're at, raise up your hands and say, I need help. I need mercy. The old timers used to say, mercy, Lord. Mercy, Lord. Come on, we need mercy, Jesus. If you need it today, call it out. Call it out, Jesus. I need mercy in my family. I need mercy in my finances. I need mercy. I need mercy. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I need help, Jesus. Help me, Lord. I'm calling on Jesus because he can hear me. I'm calling on Jesus because he can help me. It doesn't matter what the pastor says. It doesn't matter what the bishop or the religious leader said. I'm coming to Jesus. Just give me Jesus today. Brothers and sisters, come forward if you need help seeing Jesus. That's the best thing I can do for you is help you talk to Jesus. Just a few more moments and then we'll dismiss with worship. But I pray for every one of you here today to experience the high priest of your faith. He can empathize. He can empathize with everything you've been through. He may not have sinned in the way you sinned, but he faced temptations like you. And he can give you all the compassion that you need. Those being raised by single fathers, we got young people here. You may not think anybody knows what's going on behind those closed doors, but Jesus does. Jesus knows what it's like in your situation, and he's going to give you power to overcome. Even speaking of the single moms today, God only knows what single moms go through. There are heroes here. We love you. But God knows. Learn to come to Jesus. Even as you strive for justice, come to Jesus. A few moments right now, Father, we're coming to Jesus, our high priest, because you put him in our place as a mediator. Father, you were pleased to make him a servant for us. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming. You chose. It was your choice to come on behalf of the Father 
to be sent here by his love. We thank you, Jesus, that you took this upon yourself, that no one made you do it, but you did it out of your love for us so that you could call us your friends, no longer just your servants, but your friends, as you said in John. And Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity, we thank you that you are here to apply the words of Jesus to our hearts, to regenerate us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, take that which is from heaven and bring it to earth. May the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Holy Spirit, Espirito Santo, fiel, come and show us the Father and the Son here in power. In el nombre Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Jesus. I confess my weakness. I confess my failures. I confess my loneliness, my fears. Oh, Jesus, would you empathize with me? Would you show me I'm not alone? Take me out of my pity patty party. Set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil. Hallelujah, oh God. Bring me through a valley today. Make me strong, God. A few more moments. If you need to be made strong today, ask him to make you strong to fight temptation. Whatever you're facing, God is stronger. Even if you're facing sickness, even if you're facing despair, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for a church today that prays. I thank you for everyone that's come up here. I thank you for everyone that's raised their hands. Everybody that's lifted up a prayer from their heart. Let them not grow discouraged, oh God. In times of testing, may they stay true to your word. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Can you give him another hand clap of victory, a shout of praise? Hallelujah. 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 God bless you, brothers and sisters. Please feel free to worship and pray with us. We call this the after party. But you are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. I pray that you hang out with the high priest today. Let him be your encouragement. Amen. You guys got a good one? Come on. I'm coming.